today, what I want to do is I want to, I want to read a portion of um, the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, and uh, verse 42 to 47. And this is a, a picture of the early church, probably one of the most beautiful uh, fullest pictures of the church that often we can see. The church is ov- obviously messy and full of imperfect people. And just keep reading the rest of the New Testament and you'll understand that that's true in, in, uh, in the churches Paul wrote to, but even in the churches throughout history and even our church. Um, but as we, we come today, we're, we're ending a series called Change Your Story. And um, I thought it'd be great that, to end the series looking at the church's story and also, um, also because we're celebrating a little bit of our story uh, on this day as well. So, so Acts 2, 42 to 47. I'll just jump in and read it, and then we'll get started. So here we go. They, talking about these, um, the disciples, these new followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer, And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they committed or they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father, as we look into this text today, as we look into the story of your church, as we reflect on our own story personally and as a church, we just invite you to, um, to work in us, to speak to us, to challenge us and stretch us, um, convict us forward, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love this version of the church, and we see the church uh, sacrificing, the church loving, the church caring, the church giving, the church learning, the church praying, the church praising and worshiping, uh, the church welcoming and including others that are coming to know who Jesus is. And we have, in the last several weeks, been in a series called Change Your Story, and kind of part of the premise of that is we all live stories that we believe in. And if that's true, depending on our life, we look back and say, that's a great story. That's not a great story. And the second week we said, well, what if we need to change our story? So we talked about how, uh, how change takes place in our lives as we change the root story of what we believe in and allow that root story to be renewed in our hearts and minds. And last week we talked about what it means to live out this new story. If we discover a new story, if we see a, a part of our lives that needs change and, and we, we dig back and say, what story do I need to be living out of? And then we start doing that. How do we do that? And, and we looked at that last week. And one of the things we said was to arrange our life around our new story to be able to live that. If you, if you weren't with us, I'd encourage you to look back and listen uh, to the podcasts on our website or on iTunes. But here's the deal. What's true for me personally and you personally is true for a group of people. What's true for you personally in living out a new story or living out a story is true for a community. And it's true for a church. If you walk into a town and meet certain people, over time you will start to discover they're living out of a story of that town. They're living out of the story of that region or that province or, or a group of people because there's, an, there's this just truth about what this means is that humans come and congregate together and over time they start living out of their story together. 
And that's true of the church. In Acts 2, it gives us a picture of the church in its best form. But here's the thing. like What, what story do they believe in? What story were they living out of? What story has influenced their daily lives? And as we read Acts 2, we get this picture of this church that is, it's a beautiful picture of the church, but it, it, it kind of causes me to step back and say, hey, what story are they living out of? Why are they doing that and making those decisions? And verse 42 is kind of a, a verse we're going to hover on today. And it gives us a little bit of a clue. Now, here's the thing. Nothing in this text, if, if you've been around the scriptures a little bit or you've been following Jesus for a little bit, there's nothing in this text that should surprise you if you know the story of Jesus. There's nothing in what's happening here that should be odd to us if we know the story of Jesus. Now, when the church started living this out, they actually were surprising the culture the culture around them started to take notice, started to be surprised, started to say, wow, this is, this is different. What's going on? And we read historical accounts of the church growing into the first few centuries and even the Roman Empire saying, who are these people that they're, they're burying our dead and giving dignity to those who even die among them? Who are these people that will fast every other day because other people don't have food? Who are these people who meet in homes and have a closet set up as a common closet because some people don't have clothes? The culture was surprised at what was going on as they lived out their story. But if we, when we read these words, if we know the story of Jesus, we shouldn't really be that surprised. Because what was happening is they were living deeply connected out of a root story, and that was the story of Jesus. See, what, we, what, we, what we're seeing here it ties up a lot about what we've been talking about the last few weeks. But it also gives us this clear picture of what it means to be the church and live out of the church's story. And it, and it starts with these words. It says they, these both, that would include the apostles, the disciples, the first followers of Jesus. Uh, just previous to this verse, we see that Peter preaches a, a message on the gospel and thousands of people begin to believe. So they is a group or all of these people. They devoted themselves, right? That's this first line. When you read that word, they devoted themselves, we can replace it with a word we used last week, arrange your life around your story. For them to devote themselves to these things we're going to talk about, they were arranging their life around new patterns, around the story that has captured their hearts and lives. That's what it means to devote yourself to something. You begin to arrange your life and your schedule and your practices and what you're learning around this new root story. And that's what they were doing. They were devoting themselves around a few things. And the first thing that they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. Now, you know, maybe you've walked through this before and I might have taught it in a different way, but as I was thinking about um, both our anniversary, thinking about this series we're in, but there's something in these few verses that is like a window back into the story of Jesus. So that's kind of how I'm going to teach it today. They devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching. They committed themselves really to a select group of people that were with Jesus. And they said, we're going to listen to them and learn from them and grow with them. And these people were the apostles. What's an apostle? An apostle means a sent one, a messenger, if someone has an apostolic gift, they, 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 they have this kind of gift to start things. So Paul, an apostle, started churches, right? And Peter went off to other places. And, but these apostles, when you think about the apostles' teaching, it was these people who first spent time with Jesus. They heard Jesus, they saw Jesus up close, and they had a very specific message. It wasn't like, you know, a TED Talk on a random topic, 
It wasn't like, I just got this really cool idea. Let me set this up in 18 minutes and give it to you. You know, it wasn't a motivational thing. They were affected by the life and teachings of Jesus. That was their story. That was their teachings. That was their message. In fact, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, when Jesus gathers his disciples for the last time, pretty much, he he says these words, and I love it. You know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Jesus didn't say, you know, um, keep, learn, learn, learn everything in culture and pass it on. No, he says, teach everything I commanded you. So the apostles had this at their core. They were teaching the gospel, singular, like Jesus died, was buried and resurrected from the grave. But they taught the gospels, plural, the life and heart and story and teachings and miracles and compassion of Jesus. Because they lived it and they heard it and they experienced it. And they took it in and it transformed them from the inside out. The main thing they passed on was Jesus. I love this verse later on in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where, where it, um, it says this. Is it there? Oh, okay, no problem. So, hey, let's go analog and uh, verse 13. So li- listen, listen to this, verse 13, uh, chapter 4. When they, these are people around now, the disciples, the church community, these people growing, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and, check this out, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. They, figured, they realized like what's happening here is not just, has nothing to do with just them. It's, they've been immersed in the life and stories and teachings and activity of Jesus because they were with him. So as the church grows, where do they get their root story from? The apostles, but the apostles' teaching is Jesus. That's their root story. Jesus is their root story. But we see another clue from their root story, and it's, and it's fellowship. And the apostles are tied to this a little bit. They devoted themselves to fellowship. What a weird word, eh? Like churches have fellowship halls. Like you can only eat potlucks in fellowship halls or something. Um, and I don't think anybody outside the church, do you have a fellowship room at work? I don't, I don't think so. But the word fellowship is, is a beautiful word that describes a common life together. And the word, the original word is koinonia. People love to throw that word around as like the heart and soul of community of the early church. But the cool thing is, there's a prefix in that word koinonia. It's the word koinos. And it's, it's normally used before another word. So the word often means together. So if you would say, like, put the prefix before, like, the word living, you would say it means they're living together, right? And so if um, my wife and I have a shared bank account, we would say that we have a common fund. We, our money is shared together. So that, that koinos before fund would mean a common fund. If, uh, if you share the same mother, then koinos is the prefix. I have the same together common mom, right? And so, so that's kind of what the word means. And it means to hold something together in common. They, they arrange their life around this common um, core of who they were. And in fact, Luke uses the word together several times in just these verses to describe this kind of community. And it was expressed in their generosity and their sacrifice. Remember years ago, uh, someone in our church really wanted to take a course in university. They were struggling financially. And someone else in our church came to me with like an envelope with three or $400 cash and said, please give it to this person to help them go to school. 
That person never knew who gave it to them. I was privileged to know because they handed me the envelope. But, but like that's the common shared life of the church. And that's happened uh, in other times as well. Like even over the last few years, sometimes someone said, hey, I know this person is going through a struggle. Here's some gift cards, a couple of hundred dollars of gift cards. Please, they really need this. They're desperate. And then it gets passed on. That's the commonality. They shared this common life. But who taught this? Jesus taught them this. They didn't just come out of anywhere. I love one phrase in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, when Jesus calls his disciples and he starts to, he gives us a glimpse of why he calls them. And in Mark 13, it says, he called them, he appointed them that they might be with him. I love that description of Jesus' call to this discipleship community. He appointed them, not just, if you keep reading, it'll be to send them out and to preach, and, but not just that, to be with him, to share life together. So these apostles and now this church starting is modeling themselves after Jesus, the meals, the sacrifice, the ministry, the, the mission, the adventures. And this idea of a common life came from Jesus. It was taught from Jesus and it was caught from Jesus. It wasn't just taught from Jesus. He talked about it, but it was caught from Jesus. They saw Jesus do this with them. Here's this other clue, this other practice from Jesus. And it's this idea of breaking bread. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, of course, if you've been following Christ for a while or even part of our church community today, later, we're going to break bread. Where we break bread symbolizing the body of Christ being broken for us and our connection to the bread of life. When they broke bread, it could have meant two things in this context. It could have meant kind of the, the, the common meal, the, what they called an agape love feast that the church had. They would get together and they would eat and enjoy each other's company and celebrate their life in Christ and their life together. But it also meant the Eucharist. It also meant the communion meal, the bread and wine that we see in Jesus's life. Because Jesus had this, many of you know this, but let me just kind of, Jesus had this last supper, right, with his disciples before he went to the cross and he, he meets with them. And this story of this Last Supper where he's having this Passover meal with them and then he takes bread and he breaks it. And as we're going to do this later, he breaks it and says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He pours wine and he says, this is the, like my blood that will be poured out, my death to, to, to bring victory over sin and death. Do this in remembrance of me. And so these two symbols of bread and wine and this idea of breaking bread was part of the story of Jesus told over and over again. I think that we only get a glimpse of it in the Gospels. Like Jesus broke bread and poured wine and they had this meal. I have a feeling they talked about this over and over again. I have a feel that, feeling that those that were there reveled in the whole evening and what the evening was about. And, oh, I wish you would have heard what Jesus said after that. And I wish you would have understood how he brought this about and just brought it to life for us. It was a story they reveled in. But every time they broke bread, it was a reminder of Jesus. In fact, we know it becomes a common practice. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says this. In, in, uh, it says, on the first day, this is later now, like many chapters later, as Luke's telling the story of the church and growing, now the apostle Paul's in the picture. He's gone off and started churches. He's kind of like going from town to town and, and seeing people come to faith and developing these small communities. And we see this practice already happening within a few years. On the first day of the week, we came together to what? To break bread. This became a common practice among the church because their story was steeped in Jesus' story. They didn't make that up. It wasn't just the bread is awesome in Macedonia. 
Let's get some bread. No, we get together the first day of the week. We're going to break bread because our Lord broke bread with the first disciples. And he asked us to do this in remembrance of him. He's our life. He's our source. Then here's this last piece. It's prayer. And and I love this, this devotion to prayer. You know, some might say, well, obviously they prayed. They were Jews. And it's true. In Acts 2, they were Jewish background. They, all, they were all there for the festival of Pentecost. Many came to faith that day, but they had a Jewish background. So the Jews prayed. So maybe that's why they prayed. Or maybe they were in a very religious, you know, supernatural, superficial type of culture, and they all wanted to pray to a God. So that's why they prayed. There was this human inclination to reach beyond themselves to something above them. But we know why they prayed. It's because Jesus prayed. I was reading through Luke this summer, Luke and Acts, and what I, I just noticed so much in Luke's description of the gospel, so often we hear that Jesus went off to pray. He loved the Mount of Olives. One day we've got to just kind of do a topic on like why the Mount of Olives is so cool. But he, went, he would go off to pray, and Luke tells us often, like he woke up in the morning to pray. He sometimes spent the night praying. He would get off away from people and then begin to pray. He asked his disciples, can't you keep watch for a little bit and pray? And so Jesus had this practice of prayer. And so whoever was close to Jesus, like the apostles, noticed Jesus prays. He must, have, he must have had such a robust and beautiful and deep and effective prayer life that Luke tells us that the disciples actually asked Jesus. And they said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? Will you teach us to pray? And out of that request, Jesus, we have one of the most uh, profound uh, and impacting prayers of all times, and it's the Lord's Prayer. And in this prayer, Jesus gives them the pattern of prayer, the posture of prayer, the priority of prayer. It expresses God's kingdom and his fatherly nature. It expresses God's provision and God's grace, his protection, his wisdom, his love. It gives them access to who God is. Now, I want to pray right now. Can we pray? We're going to pray? Here we go. Our Father in heaven. This is all of us, okay? We're getting ready? Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God's character, God's kingdom, God's, God's provision, God's forgiveness, God's protection, God's wisdom, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. It was, it, was, it was just who he was, and they were immersed in it. And as Jesus then tells his disciples for the last time after he's resurrected from the dead, before he ascends to heaven, he tells them, You're gonna, you need to wait here for a few weeks or a few days, and you need to do what? You need to pray and wait for my Holy Spirit to come and give you power. In Acts chapter 1, we read that. Because prayer is not just a practice. It's, it's, a, it's, 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 in a sense, a source of power. So Jesus says, you go, you wait, and you pray. And they experienced something just phenomenal, and it launched the church into existence because they prayed, because they spent time seeking the Lord. The church was birthed out of a prayer meeting. Because Jesus was immersed in prayer and Jesus was their root story and they prayed. Someone sent me a, a little snippet of, of um, something from a preacher of many years ago, a couple of centuries ago, um, Charles Spurgeon, not a couple of centuries ago, but he's not around anymore. And so 
it was amazing because uh, we were talking about prayer and I think prayer was in our newsletter a couple of weeks ago and so someone sent me this, this little paragraph that Charles Spurgeon was a real famous preacher. I mean, thousands of people came to listen to this guy preach and, and um, when people would come into the church early, he would take them down the stairs and into this boiler room. And he's like, where are we going? I thought we came to the, ser- you know, the service is going to happen. You're going to preach. He's like, no, no, come with me to the boiler room. And there was a whole bunch of people praying. And I'm like, what do you do? What do- what's happening? He's like, this is where, this is where everything happens. This, they, these people, are, they're praying for, for you. They're praying for people who are going to walk in this place. They're praying for me. And he, and he said, the source of what's happening here is not me. It's not you. It's not others. We're seeking God because God is the source of what's happening here. And there's just power and effectiveness in praying. I'm going to ask the team to come up as we so, slowly close. And I, I want you just to get this. Jesus is praying, his actual praying, his life of prayer. Jesus is teaching on prayer. And Jesus' command to pray taught the early church what it meant to pray. It, it became their fundamental identity of who they were and what they were called to. When I think back uh, in our seasons of Westside, there's a couple of seasons where I distinctively saw God work and often I can pinpoint and say, oh, that's the season where I remember we, this is crazy. Some of us, some people set up like a 24, a, a weekend prayer um, in a U-Haul truck at the corner of St. John's and, and, uh, and Brunswick at the Essel Station. And the Essel Station, the owner let us park this U-Haul truck and it was a prayer room for like the whole weekend. And they had like obviously blankets and stuff and, and people went and took turns and, and we still have pictures from that. It's amazing. And I, I just, I think back of, of, of the desire to seek the Lord and the, th- the things that came out of that. There was a whole season that I remember uh, just unique, beautiful things taking place. And, and I'm thinking, why this season? Now I'm not just betting it on prayer. God's at work all the time. But I look back to a whole year from like September to, to September almost where a few people, two, three, normally two, three guys, sometimes four or five, sometimes one or two, would go to the steps of the bay at Fairview, um, right at the, on St. John's. And, and uh, nobody's there at seven in the morning. So a few of us would huddle on the steps of Fairview. From the, from the steps of the bay, you could almost look all the way to the mountain and you can see a couple of the buildings. And it was like, we're just praying for the city. And that was... That was just fueled out of this desire. And, I, and my heart's been kind of leaping lately saying, Lord, how do we get back to this culture of prayer? Actually, not even back because that was just little. It's like, how do we grow this culture of prayer in our church and to be part of what the, the Lord is doing? And here's this thing. Like they were rooted in this story of Jesus, the apostles teaching, the fellowship, the common life together, the, the breaking of bread and prayer. And I love, think about the result. Look at what happens don't just look at the practices. And I want to read uh, th- those last verses together. And I highlighted a few ple- things that took place. This is what we see then unfold. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Something miraculous was taking place. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So this common life was being forged among these early Christians. They sold their property and possessions they gave to anyone who had need. So some people who had extra or more or sacrifice said, we don't want to make sure everyone's needs are met here. This was something that was birthed in them. Every day they continued to meet together. Check this out. In the temple courts, so large gatherings, and they broke bread in their homes, small gatherings. 
So they, they met in large times and they met in small times. And I'm a firm believer that we need both. We need to come together on weekends and grow together in a large setting. And we need to be pockets of community all over the city to encourage each other, to grow in our faith and to reach out to our neighbors and friends, temple courts and homes. And they ate together and, and, and here's their heart with glad and sincere hearts. This is a product of what God was doing in them, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And then here's this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That, that God was working in people, touching people, drawing people, convicting people, breaking down barriers in people's hearts, just like we heard in Karin's heart. And, and what was happening, they were connecting people to Jesus and a growing relationship with Jesus, and they were connecting people to each other all by God's grace and God's power. Isn't that an amazing description of what was taking place in the church? Why did the church look like this? Why did this happen? Why these practices? Why this genuine sense of community? Because they were living out of their story. They were living out of Jesus' story. They didn't didn't create this and strategize around it. They maybe arranged their lives around it, but they they were sourced in Jesus and his story. And these four practices that we walk through today and then the overflow of that were birthed in Jesus. They, They were taught from Jesus. They were caught from Jesus. And then it overflowed. And they, here's this. They arranged their life around it. They arranged their life around it. So as we close today, I want to encourage us. This is meant to be our story. Now, we're not meant to replicate it, but it's meant to be our story. We're not meant to copy it. What I mean is we're called to be rooted in it and to be living in it and to be living out of it. It's not because Acts 2 describes what happened in the first century with the church but jesus prescribed it jesus created it it comes out of their deep relationship with jesus and their trusting jesus as lord and savior and and the work of the holy spirit in them we're not around today just to to copy acts 2 we're around to live out of the same story and see what god does among us maybe in similar ways maybe in different ways but in in some some of those core ideas so we don't have to replicate it but we are empowered to incarnate it We're empowered to incarnate it in our neighborhoods, in our networks, in our family, in our life, in our neighborhoods, in our cities. And I love this. As I was thinking about just pictures of Acts 2 that came to mind, some of them was, like I said, someone anonymously helping someone with the tuition. Um, I have this vivid image of my mind, you know, a, a young girl in our church several years ago who just had made some painful decisions and was going through a difficult time, was getting distant from the Lord. She invited us, about eight or ten of us, to to huddle around her in our living room and to listen to her confess the painful decisions she made and people hovered around her and, and listened with love and grace and prayed for her. And this, this girl today is, is following Jesus out of those painful decisions. That's the church coming together. I was thinking about one of our groups who huddled around a family that had a, just a multiplicity of, of issues of debt and business conflict and family conflict and different people with different gifts, financial gifts, legal gifts, uh, wisdom gifts, just coming around them and, and being the church to one another. And some who risked, their, risked inviting a friend to Jesus, seeing that friend come to Jesus, some of those people that have been invited in years ago are now following Jesus today and inviting others into Jesus. It's amazing to see that take place. So as we pray today, we're 14 years old, but we're just teenagers. <laughs> we're just teenagers. We made mistakes. 
just like kids and adolescents do, this next season, even this just this next year, is filled with opportunity and challenge. Are you ready for both of those? Are you ready for opportunity and challenge? We're going to have both. It's not just going to be opportunity. There's going to be challenge. We don't need to replicate our past. We need to be immersed in Jesus and see what he brings out of us and walks us into. And that's going to happen just like the early church did. Not in, not in replicating it, but they immersed themselves in his story. We want to immerse ourselves in his story. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. And as we pray, um, you're going to notice our grade school kids who are going to come in and, and join us for communion. If you're a parent of one of these kids, I'm going to invite you to uh, keep an eye out for them because they, you know, they probably want to come sit with you um, or look for them and maybe come sit with them. Uh, but I want to pray right now and then I'll give some instructions on how we want to do communion with the kids observing, okay? But let's, let's just take a moment and bring this all to the Lord. Father, we love you. Um, thank you for this amazing description of your church being immersed in the story of Jesus and the overflow and the impact and the result of what came as a, as a follow-through of that, Lord. God, we're not um, naive to think that the church has been perfect over the centuries. We know within years they hit struggle and conflict. But we also know how you have led your church, guided your church, and when your church has trusted you, and when your church has put Jesus first and modeled themselves after Jesus and learned from Jesus, that has often been the best seasons of your church's life. And God, we long for that. We long for this season to be a season that is an overflow of our immersion in the life and story and power and death and resurrection of Jesus. God, that's our heartbeat. Lord, we know there's going to be opportunities that come our way. Um, we look forward, potentially, as we're praying for this, 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 uh, this new lease location we've been working towards. That's not a... That's not a um, God, that's not just a silver bullet for ministry. We know that's going to come, bring challenges. We think of the opportunities with family and youth ministries and, and groups and, and the opportunities in our workplaces. But Lord, we, we so long to do anything, whatever we do this season, Lord, may it come out of an immersion in the story and life of Jesus. May we be devoted to that story and may we arrange our life around that story. That's what we long to live out of, God. So we pray this in Christ's name. And as we worship and take communion today, re, just, just uh, renew that story in us even more. Amen.